Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What do you think has been like the biggest, I don't want to say like culture shock, but like shell shock moment from going from collegiate broadcasting to minor league broadcasting? Um, that's a good question. You know, I think the biggest thing that sometimes, and, and I don't only want to say this about broadcasters, I'll say it about professional. I'll, I'll say it about people yeah. who work in other things too, or just things I've seen working in sports. You know, I think when you're in college, you know, you get, and, and you know this, you get very wrapped up in that bubble, you know, in that college atmosphere. Your, your world becomes very small. Um, I think when you get out of college and you start really working, I think you realize you're in the real world now, you know, and, yeah. and it's not play play. You know, in college you can mess around with your friends and do whatever you want on the broadcast and whatever and you know not that that's what I did at Northwestern right. not what you do Jack but like <laughs> you can and there, I know people oh, that yeah. did it just as a, like even at Northwestern which is a serious broadcasting school there were people that just did it as a hobby who had who had no intention of going into broadcasting and that's fine like it's their college experience that's totally cool I'm for that but when you get out like that that environment's gone. I mean, you're doing it as a job. Like somebody pays you to do it. Yeah. Um, so you better do a good job, and you better be serious about it, and work hard. And it's not play. You know, it's it's real. And and um, you know, the stakes as you get higher in the level of games you're calling, the stakes get higher. Um, you know, w- what I always think about is. You know, yeah, do I work in minor league baseball? Yes. Is minor league baseball about having fun, and is there a looseness to it? Yes. But also, on the baseball side of things, I mean, these are people's careers and livelihoods, and and they're battling, scratching, clawing for opportunities to get to the major leagues. You know, we see it double A. You know, whether whether it's when I worked in independent ball, the Grizzlies, or now at double A. These guys are competing for very slim chances to get to the major leagues. I don't care if you're a top prospect or you know, uh, uh, you know, a thirtieth round pick. Um, you know, this is serious stuff, and these guys are really serious about it. And same thing goes for the coaches and the managers. Like this isn't a joke, right? <laughs> you know, this is these are jobs, these are livelihoods. Some of these players have millions of dollars already invested in them. These teams want these guys to be stars. This is a this is a play, right? You know? um, so I, I, you know, I think that's like to me the biggest difference is I think when you get out of school, you just start realizing like, yeah, broadcasting a hundred percent is supposed to be fun. They're games, they're sports. We've got to have fun. That's part of it. But this is also serious business in a lot of ways, from the baseball side to the organizational side. Like, you know, your organization is trying to make money. <laughs> you know, right. it's a business. So, you know, you always hear players talk about, you know, hey, it's a business. Hey, we get it's a business. You know, 
I think it's the same way when you come out of college as a broadcaster. Like, I think you realize, hey, this is this is a business, and this is real, real stuff, and serious, and there's money and livelihoods, and um, you got to treat it that way. Now, when you're starting to get serious about it, junior, senior year, starting to send out demo tapes, reels, etc., how did you go about um, applying yourself when it came to broadcast gigs? Did you attend any winter meetings in, in December uh, throughout college? I, I went to the winter meetings last year in San Diego, and I thought it was a great experience from like the major league side, somewhat from the minor league side, but at the same time, like when it came to job postings, it was kind of difficult, not that many like real like play-by-play gigs available yeah. from that perspective from the winter meetings. Well, yeah, to, to answer the first part of your question, um, yeah, I did. I went to the winter meetings actually in San Diego as well for the first time. What year was that? So that was probably after my – was that even when I was in college? I'm trying to think. I'd have to look up the last time the winter meetings were in San Diego. You know what? Now that I think about it, that actually was post-college. I think. I think. Um, I can't remember. Yeah, they've been flipping from, like, San Diego, Nashville. Yeah, I can't, They're getting smart you know, about it. I think about it in college, I – no, 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 no. Now that I think about it, I'm sorry. I never went in college. I only, I've been to the winter meetings a couple of times, and both have been after college. Both yeah. been after I was – both were when I was in the Frontier League and Independent Ball. Um, so to answer the first part of your question, like more directly and simply, I mean, my first job was with the Grizzlies. I was the number two broadcaster under a, a guy named Adam Young, who's now you know a great friend of mine. He's now at New Mexico State and has been there for a handful of years now. Um, you know, I I knew Adam because it, you know we talk about the, the networking right and reaching out for critiques. Adam was a direct extension of me doing that. And um, I got to know Adam when I was in Cape Cod. I had never met him before. And, you know, I just saw him on Twitter or online and, you know, and, and had asked him to take a look at my work. And we talked on the phone. He was a really nice guy, yada, yada. And then uh, in the winter, that following winter, as I'm kind of looking for baseball jobs, you know, I was graduating in March and, you know, looking for what I could do. Yeah. You know, Adam posted his job and, and I applied and, you know, from the get-go, I was kind of the top candidate, not because necessarily my tape or my work was so stellar above the rest, but because I already knew Adam. Right. Me. Yeah. So it just, it shows you the power of networking, right? I mean, in ways that you can't, you know, you can't always predict that stuff. You know, you just kind of, kind of create relationships and see where they go over the course of time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that was basically how I got started. I mean, there, there were no winter meeting stuff. As far as your point on the winter meetings in general, you know, I've had a lot of college broadcasters and, and people that are a few years out of school ask me about the winter meetings and should I go and how valuable are they. And obviously this year, I would imagine they're going to end up being quite different. Oh, yeah. With that aside, um, I always say go, um, but go with the right mindset. And like you were alluding to, I think sometimes, especially broadcasters, and I can only speak on the broadcast side of it, that broadcasters go thinking that there's going to be 40 jobs open, and like right. it's, gonna, it's just not like that. Um, it really isn't. I mean, there's a there's a handful, but as you know, I mean, it's there's a lot of people there, and there's a lot of competition, and you know, they they put the I'm not sure if they still do this, but they put the eight by eleven pieces of paper on the wall. Oh yeah, and it's you know it's. It's kind of, 
in a way, I think sometimes it's a little bit deflating. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, well, there are like these seven broadcast jobs that don't pay a whole lot. And I don't, you know, there's now 60, you know, there's now 100 people here applying for them. Oh, yeah. Um, but, but what I would say is I think it can be really valuable, again, if you go in with the right mindset, saying, okay, I'm going to apply to whatever jobs are there, but, but I'm just going to go in with the mindset of, hey, like I'm going to have fun, meet people. And I don't only mean, oh, go, hey, go meet this reporter. Go try to get a word in with, uh, with John Heyman. Or, I'm not even talking about that. More so, like, I think it's really valuable. Like, I can't tell you the amount of people that I've met at those two winter meetings that still work in the minors or work around yeah. baseball that I still keep in touch with and are just part of my, my group, my network. And that and people forget about that. That is important. When we talk about networking, it's not just it's not just um, just, oh, let me network with the people in the major leagues, or let me network with this person at this network. Like, it's also about who do you know that you're coming up with? Like, have have your people, you know, have people that you can text, that you can bounce things off of, that, by, by the way, you can get information about jobs and, and certain things. Like, a really good example of somebody like that, you know, like, people that I, I, I've not even spent that much time with in person, you know, and there are people that I have, but you know, there, there, are, there are broadcasters around the country that I've not spent that much time with in person, but we keep in touch. Right. You know, we talk, we, and it's just good to have those people in your corner because it's a small industry, you know, people talk and you create a reputation for yourself. Um, and you, and then you, you, just by osmosis, you know of things that are going on. You know when maybe there's a job opportunity. You know this. You know that because you're around people. Um, you have your, your crew. So um, you know, anyway, again, rambling on. But <laughs> to the winter meeting, to the winter meeting specifically, I think that's the mindset you have to go in with. Is like, hey, I'm just going to go have fun, make the most out of it. Yeah. Let me meet all different kinds of people that are other broadcasters. Let me meet people in minor league baseball. Like. Also, let me meet some GMs. Let me just let me meet as many people as I can, no matter who they are, where they work, what level they work at. And I think if you go in with that mindset, it can be extremely valuable. There has never been a time where somebody's asked me, "Should I go?" and I say, "No." I say, "I say yes, a hundred percent go, but go with the right mindset yeah. and, and go in with the right the right ambition of, of what you're trying to get out of it. And as long as you do that, I think it's a really valuable thing. I, I totally agree in that sense. For you personally, you mentioned trying to network and trying to make those and build those relationships with people, uh, especially in minor league ball when you go. Like when you went for the first time, uh, you step into the lobby, like what, what's your game plan there when you uh, try to network with people, when you try to start talking to people, just introducing yourself to everybody left and right that's in front of you? Because again, like first time doing that, especially in the major league hotel in the lobby, like very overwhelming. You see a bunch of guys that you see on TV, you see a bunch of guys you grew up idolizing. For me, last year, I know, like, the second I walked in, my game plan was just to introduce myself to uh, fellow journalists, whether it's at the college level, people just applying for jobs, or even, you mentioned the John Heymans and the Ken Rosenthal's of the world. Second I walked in there, I immediately made eye contact with Reggie Jackson, being as coy as he possibly can be, with, like, a top hat and a jacket. I'm like, holy crap, like, this is, this is the real deal. How did you go about, kind of, like, uh, mustering up the courage to kind of talk to people in that sense. 
Yeah, you know, I, I just think you have to be savvy. Um, I, 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 it's funny because I, on one hand, I think it's not the best idea when you're when you're at the winter meetings or really in any type of setting like this. You know, if you if you go see a, let's say you're an up and coming baseball writer and you see Tom Verducci walk, walking through the lobby. Yeah. You know, and he's working. I mean, these guys are there to work. Do I think it's the best idea to go up to him and say, hey, Tom, can I talk to you for a second? I, I, I probably wouldn't say so. Like, <laughs> you know, if, if your goal is to try to create a relationship, you know, you have to think. I mean, is that, you know, yeah, it's good to be aggressive, but, you know, sometimes you have to, you have to feel, you know, you got to read the room, right. you know, and, and um, you know, I think, I think, you know, yeah, I, I, I totally get what you're saying from the overwhelming aspect and how do you go about it and, I don't think there's any right answer. Like, you know, I've had experiences where I wish I would have done things differently in that sense. Um, and I've had also experiences where I have done that, you know, walking up to somebody like, um, a good example is like somebody like Casey Stern, um, yeah. from MLB network radio, who, who's been very good to me over the years. And I met Casey at the winter meetings and, and Casey actually ended up introducing me to, um, to my, my first agent and um, uh, and you know I just went up to Casey out of nowhere <laughs> um, and uh, and you know said hey you know and, and you know I had remembered Casey from when he used to work for Mets.com yeah and, you know like go way way back so you know I I was talking about that and we just struck it up you know and and, and created a, a relationship and a friendship and um you know, and, and uh, so, you know, while I say, you know, maybe it's not the best idea to just go up, again, it's about how you do it. You know, like, I remember, like, when I've spoken to some people where I've had success in those ways, you know, or, or created a relationship, like, you know, pick your spot, you know, right. if you're going to go talk to somebody, make sure you go do it at the end of their show, make sure, you know, you know, because I think people, respect. I, I think, I think, again, there's nuance to it, I think people respect, um, respect the hustle and respect that you're trying to create a relationship. I think a lot of people will respect that. I know I do um, now when sometimes I'm on the other side of it. Um, but also, you've got to pick your spots, you know, and you've got to, you know, you've got to know when, when the right time to do things is. So, um, you know, I think also a lot a lot of the winter meetings part of it is, um, you know, you, you got to do work beforehand. Yeah. You know, it's a lot easier to do those things if in the year or two beforehand, if you've created a relationship with people, you know, if you've, if you're a young writer and you've reached out to again, just take your pick to Jeff Hassan and said, Hey Jeff, I'm a, I'm a sophomore at the university of Missouri. Um, you would love to just pick your brain about the business sometime. Great. Jeff gives you his email says, great. Okay. Awesome. So then in six months, we're going to the winter meetings. You, well, you can then email Jeff and say, hey, Jeff, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be at the winter meetings. Would love to just, you know, introduce, you know, would love to meet you. You know, and he'll say, oh, great. You know, he may shoot you a text at, you know, 930 at night. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, come over to the hotel. I'm, you know, I'm over. I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm going to be in the lobby at, you know, 945. Hey, we can chat for a few minutes. You know what? And guess what? You get your butt over to the lobby and you go do it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? And, um, and, and, and hey, once, and again, it's just furthering the relationship. So it's an exact science. I know it's it, I, another rambling answer, but it's um, it's an exact science. But I think you just have to have that right mix of uh, of of being patient and not 
pet, you know, pestering people yeah. and also being aggressive. Because I, I think in a lot of ways there is nothing wrong with being aggressive. And I think being aggressive in, in not just networking, but a lot of senses, I think being aggressive most times will do good. Sometimes will not do so good, oh, yeah. but a lot of times we'll, we'll get you, we'll get you, you know, ways down the road. Did you ever walk away from any of those experiences with either a job or just like a really good like connection, like you mentioned uh, about Casey? But like, was there anything that you walked away with that you take with you now? Like, if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah, for sure, um, for sure. Uh, um, you know, there have been a number of conversations and people, and not just broadcasters, but you know, producers and things like that, where those have directly led me to certain opportunities for sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's across the board, I mean, you know, of, of people that I've had conversations with or grabbed a cup of coffee with or, you know, or, or whatever it might be that, that have directly led me to, to opportunities. You know, I, I think the key to, and I'm, again, I'm not, you know, I'm talking a lot here. I'm not an expert, right. I, you know, yeah. I can only speak from my experience and, so, you know, for as many, for as many, you know, home runs that I've hit, you know, I've also struck out. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's the um, game. In, in, every, in every phase of, of the job and, and the career, I mean, look, it's a, it's, that's the reality. And you should. You should, have, you should have hits and you should have strikeouts. And, yeah. like, um, and uh, you know, I, I just think, um, you know, I think there have been a number of, of conversations and people and, that have helped me along the way. And, um you know, and also things that you wish you would have done differently or gone about them different ways when it comes to jobs and, and networking and things like that. But, um, but yeah, it's a good question. I, I think there are a number of them. So, uh, and again, I don't want to take too much of your time. I only have a few more questions for you. I wanted to get into kind of your experience over the past season or two with the Sod Poodles, because again, entirely new organization, new uh, uh, Hodgetown, new stadium. For you, what was kind of the main reason to move to Armorello and take this gig with the Sod Poodles? Like, what was like the exact thing that attracted you towards them? You know, well, I, I've been in Corpus uh, for two seasons in 2017 and 2018 and had a great time there and, and super great organization and very important for my development as a broadcaster and, and a human and a professional. Um, but it was, you know, I knew at the end of the 2018 season, it was time for me to keep it moving, um, and get my own spot. You know, I had worked with a great broadcaster and friend now and Michael Coffin, who's the, the voice of the hooks there. And, and my job at the hooks was great. I mean, I got to do play by play and, Host things and content, and it's 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 one of, if not the best, number two baseball job in the minor leagues, yeah. in my opinion, um, because of what you do, the the fact that at that time it was a full time job, um, but it was time, and, and you know Mike agreed with me at the time, and well, we all kind of agreed, like it was time for me to keep going, um, and it all just kind of happened in perfect concert, honestly, um, you know. Amarillo was this new team. They were in the Texas League where the hooks were. So I was a very well-known commodity in the Texas League already. So, you know, I had interest um, in them. They had interest in me. Um, you know, formally, we really didn't start discussing things until, you know, later that year into the off offseason um, and into really November and December. 
but it became clear over the course of time that it was the right spot. One reason being just the baseball job itself. It was going to be my show. Yeah. I was going to be the number one broadcaster, and um, you know, and and they were very clear about it was going to be my canvas on which to paint. And and however I wanted to create our broadcast, however I wanted to create our content, however I wanted to create our pregame show and our in-stadium experience, and, and certain things that we do really well there. It was going to be mine yeah. to, to create, which I loved. Um, the other part of it, quite frankly, was the fact that you know they would they would allow me to be in Amarillo part time, you know, during the season because that gave me a lot of freedom on the non baseball side of things, which I wanted and I needed. Um, you know, and that was that was one of the factors in me deciding that I was going to leave Corpus Christi at least on a full time basis was I wanted the freedom to not in Corpus Christi year-round and pursue my Chicago Midwest part of the deal. Yeah. Um, more full force. So it all kind of happened at once. Like Amarillo was a great baseball jump for me and the jump that I was looking to take. And they also would allow me to pursue the other side of what I was doing. So, you know, it all just happened r- really nicely. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's it's weird when you take these these jobs sometimes, especially in the case of Amarillo, where it was a brand new team, brand new front office, brand new stadium, a, a market that had not had an affiliated minor league baseball team in almost forty years. Yeah, you you don't know what you're getting yourself into. I'd never been to Amarillo, you know, and and um, but I will tell you, it was such a great decision. I mean, you know, they've. They've been really good to me. My job there is great. The fans are great. They've been unbelievably good to me. And um, you know, our season in 2019 was just uh, was just a magical season, like in every way. Oh yeah. You know, from the fan support um, to winning <laughs> to our broadcasts and everything that we were able to accomplish there on and off the field and in the booth. And um, you know, it was a, a tremendously great decision for me and I'm, I'm happy that I ended up there so it's, uh, it's been all good ever since that day that I decided to go I mean you get to run the show at brand new stadium beautiful looking stadium you guys win the Texas League championship you get a ring uh, for you as the director of broadcasting you're running multiple things right you're obviously the play by play voice I assume you're doing media relations and all of that stuff I mean how much of uh, a hustle is it being the, the head of the broadcast department yeah, I mean, it's a major hustle. I mean, during the course of a baseball season, you're nonstop. I mean, it's a, it's a 24-7 job. I'm lucky that I have a lot of good help. I mean, you know, we have a full-time media relations director in Shane Phillips, which is a big help. Yeah. Because you're right, in, in some other organizations that all those duties would, you know, it would, it would very typically be a director of broadcasting and media relations job, but I'm fortunate that I don't have that. You know, so, so Shane picks up, you know, most of the, the load as far as media relations, yeah. especially when we're at home. Um, you know, I'll take on more more responsibilities when we're on the road because I'm with the team. Um, but but I'm very lucky in that sense. And even from the content standpoint, we have a tremendous video manager um, in Joe Corbicero who helps me a ton with both our content and our MILB TV broadcast and make sure you know make sure that they're ready to go and, and just does an amazing job up there. So I'm, I've got plenty of help, um, which is great. I've got honestly more help than a lot of broadcasters do with other teams. Um, 
so I can't take all the credit for what we do yeah. at all. But with that said, I mean, it's the grind of a baseball season. You know, it's it's you start April whatever, and you're going until September whatever. Um, 100, last year we played 148 games with the postseason. I'm sorry. Oh, no, 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 148. That would be right. Yeah, yeah. We only played 138 during the regular season. So, um, you know, it's a grind. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, when, when, when baseball players and broadcasters and everybody talks about the grind of a season – it's true. I mean, all you have to do is go work in the minors for a year or two, and you will know exactly what they're talking about. It's every day. The travel is tough. Um, we're riding the bus, and um, it's a lot of responsibility and a lot of hard work. But, you know, if you enjoy it and you love the game, and when, when the lights go on every night, if you can find the, the happiness in doing that every night, it, it really does make all of it worth it. Yeah. You know, and... Um, and uh, yeah, but it's a grind, no doubt about it. But um, I've I've enjoyed it, and for the most part, I I really do do love it still to this day. And in a season like this, with everything going on, the pandemic, I mean, having to adapt to different things. How much of like the video content that you guys have been putting out during COVID, like uh, the Sodcast Live, I've, I've yeah. seen. How much of that has been your input, and how much of that was prepared by the team? It's been a mix. You know, it's been it's been all of us working together. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm very very proud of what we have accomplished during all this. Um, whether it's with the Texas Collegiate League um, and our broadcasts and our content there, or what we were doing, like you said, with the Sodcast for a long time, from March until late June. Yeah. Um, you know, that, those, those were ideas that came together very quickly. Of like, okay, we're not going to be starting on time, and ultimately, we didn't have a season. But we're not going to be starting on time. What can we do to create content? And basically, you know, we created like the Sodcast, a, a twice a week show that was really well produced and had really good guests. And yeah. um, our fans liked it. And we worked hard on it every week, twice a week. Um, basically, you know, the Padres had Padre Social Hour um, while all this was going on. Um, and Jesse Agler and uh, Nikki uh, and many of the others at the Padres, you know, did a, did a great job with that. Um, you know, we basically saw that and we're like, okay, we could do our own version of this. So we did it. And a tremendous shout out to Joe Corbacero again, our video manager. Like he was a huge part of it. Um, so it was a mix between me wanting to do it and the team wanting us to do it, and Joe wanting to do it, and Tess wanting us to do it. And, um, you know, it was a team effort, like, like everything we do. Yeah. You know, it's a team effort. And, um, I'm, I'm very, very proud of like, you know, while that show may not have seemed like much to people, um, even though it was very well produced, like um, when I look back on this time, like doing things like that, I'm very happy that we did that. Oh, yeah. You know? And, and um, it was very easy, you know, and obviously we're still in the midst of this, but it was very easy back in March, April, May, um, when things were so uncertain, and they are still uncertain right now. Oh, yeah. But when things were so uncertain about what was happening with baseball, what was happening with our season, that we were able to put things out like that and create content for our fans. And our goal with that was to, during a really weird and uncertain time and, and sad time, to you know put a smile on people's faces a couple times a week and yeah. uh, you know and give them something to watch and a bit, little bit of normalcy. Um, so that was the goal, and I think we accomplished that. Now, when you guys are starting this, was there like an exact idea of what you wanted, people you wanted to interview? Because, again, just from 
what I've seen on, on your page on Instagram, you guys are interviewing people left and right, whether it was in the organization, outside the organization. Were you guys just reaching out to uh, just about anybody for this? Yeah, I mean, you know, we had certain targets. Um, you know, we, we wanted to try, because we didn't know how long You're right, <laughs> we yeah. have to do it for, you know, we wanted to space things out. We also wanted to keep it a mix of doing sod poodles slash Amarillo-related guests, but also having, you know, deeper discussions on baseball and all kinds of different things. Like, we had, we had guests all across the board, and, and quite honestly, a big part of that is because we ended up doing it for however long it was for you know three four months so twice a week so that's you know that's eight shows nine shows ten shows a month um you know and sometimes we would have multiple guests on so you know we would have everything from former players from 2019 um to we interviewed uh uh the actor who played um uh, I'm blanking on everything right now. Right, the yeah. Field of Dreams guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, Field of yeah. Dreams. Um, do play John Kinsella, you know, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting so confused now. Not not Kevin Costner, <laughs> but his dad. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm getting all mixed up in my Field of Dreams references. Um, you know, interviewing people like that, to interviewing uh, Katie Wu from MILB.com, to interviewing... Uh, Wall Street Journal writer Jared Diamond about his new book, to interviewing Rick Riz, the Seattle Mariners yeah. broadcaster, uh, about about the Amarillo Gold Sox and them winning a championship in the 1970s because Rick was the broadcaster back then. Right. Um, like there were cool things like that. In addition to talking to Taylor Trammell and talking to Travis Radke and Ron Castillo and Philip Wellman, our manager. Um, so we tried to mix it up, and you know we were doing it for quite some time. But um, yeah, there were there were a list of guests that we wanted to get to, and we got to most of them. Um, and yeah, it was like I said, with everything we do, a mixed effort. You know, some of that was me, some of that was other people. And as long as we get it done and put something that that put something out that is good, I'm I'm cool with it. For you, uh, obviously, building those relationships with players, coaches. Uh, front office, uh, it's key for you. What what do you think makes a good broadcaster when it comes to building those relationships with players and coaches? Do you take yourself like I know you can't take yourself too seriously during broadcast, but do you kind of take yourself seriously, or do you kind of sit back and kind of let things take their own course when it comes to building those relationships? Yeah, it's a good question, and I think it's a mix of both. I think. <laughs> I think when it comes to creating relationships, and I think your question is asking like about in the actual game itself, like yeah. with the manager, with the coaches, with the players, and which is very, very important to a broadcaster, and especially in baseball when you're with these players and coaches every day in the minors when you're with them on the bus. I mean, you're you're around each other for six months, so and you're and you're calling games every day, so it requires fresh content every single day. Um, I think it's a mix of knowing when to be serious and when to be a professional broadcaster. Yeah. But especially in the minors, you have to know when to just be one of the guys, in a sense. Um, You know, or or just be, you know, kind of more that member of the team. Um, And what I mean by that is, again... The minors are very different because at the end of the day, you're getting on the bus with these players and these coaches, and you're getting out at the gas station, and you're going to get your 3 a.m. 
Twix and your can of soda. Like, you're, it's not the major leagues. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, your relationship to the people is much closer. Right. Because um, the group is much smaller. And keep in mind, when we go on the road, I'm the only, uh, I'm the only, you know, non coach player member of the Padres organization that's with them. Right. So, um, you just have to know, like, you know, there are moments where you, know, you have to, again, straddle that line between, hey, I can walk into our manager's office after a game and just talk about the game and chill out and sit there for an hour or talk about life in the game and just be friends in a way. Um, I think that's important. Um, now, in the major leagues, that's different, um, I, I think. I, I think that relationship's a little bit different because – you know, there's it just is. Yeah. You know, that's that's the big leagues. Um, I think in the minor leagues, I do think it's important to have that that almost friendly relationship with a lot of people. You know, and and um, even with the players as well. You know, it's different. It's different. Um, but at the same time, you do have to straddle that line and have the ability to separate those moments. And also the moments in times where you have to just be a professional yeah. and know when to speak and know when it's appropriate to say certain things and know when it's appropriate to maybe turn on that friendly mode and turn off that friendly mode and just do your job. Oh, yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, you can be friends with the shortstop. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with chit-chatting on the bus and talking about life. I mean, that's part, what part of makes this job so cool is your ability to do that. But if he makes an error or he makes a bad play, you have to be able to say he made an error and he made a bad play. Right. If he makes a bad base running play, well, you've got to be able to say that and be truthful. Um, not that you're bashing anyone, but look, I think in broadcasting, you know, and thankfully for me, I, I've never really, I've never run into uh, issues with players about anything I've said or anything like that. I, I don't consider myself overly critical at all. But if a guy boots a ground ball in a key spot, what's their sugarcoat? Right. <laughs> you know, if, if he boots a ground ball in the eighth inning and it costs the team the game, well, guess what? I'm going to say, well, that, that was a critical play in this game, critical miscue. Um, so anyway, I say all that to say that you just have to know when to straddle that line. Um, and I think, you know, I think the minors, again, I do think it's a very different ball game you know, figuratively and literally, uh, then in the majors, when it comes yeah. to those relationships, I think, I think you have to have a close relationship with the people around you. I think that makes you a better broadcaster, um, because you have your pulse on the team more, you know, and you, you can get nuggets, you know, for your broadcast and, and perspective and context by those conversations and just being more of a, a pal. Um, then you can when you just sit down to do the pregame interview. Yeah. You know, and um, again, it's not that you need to be all buddy buddy with everybody. Or again, you're covering the team, um, and I get that. And again, it's just I think it's a mix. In the minors, it's a mix of being that more friendly, just kind of member of the group and guy that sits on the bus, um, but also knowing when you've got to be a pro. You know, and also knowing when to when to speak. You know, yeah. sometimes you walk to the manager's office and you can sit down and have a whole conversation and, you know, and just chit chat. 
There are other times, walk to the manager's office, ask what you need to ask, do what you need to do, and get out of it. Right. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of times you will know which one that should be just by how they're acting. Right. Um, you know, and I, I know and I've heard stories of, of broadcasters that have got into not so good relationships with you know, with managers and coaches because sometimes they don't they don't know that difference. You know, and um, uh, I just think you gotta you gotta know that line. So um, again, very I'm sorry, if you haven't realized already, I tend to ramble on. Oh, it's um, good, man. But but uh, but yeah, I just think that that delineation and that ability to kind of be that chameleon um, as a as a professional uh, and as a broadcaster, I think that's important in the minors and. And obviously, again, the majors are a different thing, but I think anybody who has worked in the minor leagues would, would give you a version of that answer because I think that's just reality in the way it's set up. Is is double A more stable in the sense of like guys getting called down or called up? Because obviously broadcasting games at the triple A level, you're seeing guys get sent up, sent down. It's kind of hard to build those relationships. At the double A level, especially for uh, the Sod Poodles last year, was it more of a, a sense of everybody's sticking together? Like, not that, I mean, give or take a few people getting called up and getting called down, but for the most part, were people kind of steady at double A? Every organization and every team is different. Um, you know, every season is very different, honestly. I mean, in my, I've worked in double A now, well, this would have been year four, but. I guess it's now been three yeah. <laughs> from 17, 18, 19. Every season's been very different. My two seasons with the hooks, um, you know, there was a lot of movement in 2017 and 2018. We were remarkably consistent with the Sod Poodles in 2019. Um, that's one of the reasons that they were good and they won was when you look at the lineup from opening day in April to the lineup, that went out for game five of the Texas championship series on September 15th. There were a lot of similarities yeah. and, and on the pitching staff as well. Um, it just, it's a year by year thing. It depends on the organization and that year and that team and the players. And it depends. I mean, it's stuff that's out of anybody's control as far as when guys go up and down, you'll, you'll have years where you could have a totally different starting nine in late July than you had in late April. Right. Um, but last year, the Sopwoodles were very, very much a, a very re- remarkably consistent group that, that stuck together. Um, and that's, you know, they don't decide that. The Padres decide right. that. But, um, but, you know, and that, that in some ways can be good, <laughs> you know, from a, win, from a winning-losing perspective. Well, if you have a group that ain't playing so well and they stick together, they may not have a very good season. Uh, but luckily in our case with Amarillo last year, it was a good group, a good group as far as talent, a good group as far as team that won, and a good group as far as personalities. And I do think when you look back at the way they won last year, um, you know, that was a part of it. Yeah, that was a, a very, very significant part of it was their ability to keep a lineup very much intact. So um, every year is different. Every organization is different. Um, you know, it just depends on what you get that year. What do you think is the one thing that you're going to take away from that entire 2019 season? I mean, you called it yourself a miracle season, winning the Texas League Championship in their inaugural season. What's like the one thing that you're going to take away from that, uh, of looking back on it years from now? That's a good question. Um, the one thing I would take away... The, the, the thing that, again, this sounds like a... 
it, it sounds like a broad answer, but it was just the whole thing. Yeah. You know, it's hard to put into words how that all transpired. Remember, this was a brand new organization, brand new team. You know, uh, let me reverse my answer. I think the thing that I'll remember the most was the way that community and the fans embraced that team and embraced that organization. I mean, we we had 40 sellouts in 68 home games. Um, you know, the place was hopping. It was the story of the year in that region, in the Texas Panhandle. Um, you know, I think for a lot of us, both in, on the front office side, the player side, the coaches side, I think for a lot of us, you know, if you would have asked people in March and April, we didn't really know what to expect. Right. You, know, you got the feeling that the community was really going to support it. Um, we knew that, but I don't think that anybody could have predicted how crazy it was. Um, in the sense that the, the community just totally embraced it, um, loved it. And to see that, to see a community support a team and kind of fall in love with a ballpark and a group of players and an organization and a brand, the way they did over the course of those five, six months really was remarkable. Um, and that's continued over. I mean, we were going to... We were going to do the same thing in 2020. I mean, I can't guarantee they would have won a championship. Again, right, from yeah. Attendance, stand, uh, fan perspective, I mean, it was going to be Chapter 2. And I think Chapter 2 in 2021 will be just as special, if not more special, because of everything that's happened now. Um, but that's the thing I'll, I'll take away. You know, yeah, the wins were great, the baseball's great, all the memories of the, the games and the calls. and But just, just to watch a community embrace a team like that, um, you know, that's something I probably will never experience again in my career. Yeah. Um, to, to be a part of that, to feel that energy, that excitement, um, that was pretty special. Um, you know, even like when we got off the bus after beating Midland in the division series, I mean, we had hundreds of people waiting for us to get off the bus. Um, you can see the videos of it. Like, you know, after the championship series when we won in game five, sing, sing. Like, those things just don't happen yeah. <laughs> in minor league baseball. Um, that's not normal. <laughs> so to, to, to be around that and to, uh, to experience that is really special. I don't know that I'll ever experience anything like that again. And um, to, to, to play some sort of role in that in creating that because I do think our broadcast one of its main purpose uh, is to create that bond that relationship between the team and the fans yeah. the organization and the fans and I think that's such an, an important thing in, in an inaugural season um, to be a part of that and be able to do that I mean it's just super super unique and special so that's that's the one thing I'll take away is is the fans and, and what they meant to uh, what they meant to all of us last year. Well, I hope you guys are able to kind of get back on that horse in 2021. Again, very strange times, man. Sam, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. I don't want to take too much of your morning. Hope you enjoy your time back home in New York and keep creating great stuff, man. All right, thanks, Jack. Appreciate it. I'm so bummed. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow. And now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday.
Oh, dude, she's only gonna break up with you. He's definitely gonna break up with me. Should have used tick pick. Wait, what'd you say? Tick pick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, tick pick. I thought you said tick pick. No hidden fees. Download today. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.